Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Brianna Reed-Hormel, Director of Broadband for the City of Loveland, Colorado, which runs a municipal broadband network called Pulse. We discuss the origins of Pulse and why the community needed municipal broadband, as well as future plans for connectivity in Loveland and surrounding communities, how Loveland is preparing for bead funding, and much more. Brianna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here as well. Um, So I'm super excited to talk with you today about Loveland Pulse. Um, But first, I just want to give you a quick opportunity to introduce yourself and and your role at the organization and in the city. Thank you so much. So I am the director of broadband uh, at the city of Loveland. So Pulse is our branded name. Mm -hmm. And uh, Loveland, Colorado. And we are about 45 minutes north of Denver uh, along the front range of Colorado. Awesome. So um, let's talk some backstory on Pulse. When did it first get started? Um, why? And where are you all delivering service today? Right. So this all goes all the way back to 2015. Um, at the time that uh, we were dealing with some issues with our school district where uh, they were being unable to do standardized testing in the schools because there wasn't enough bandwidth being served um, from our incumbent. And it was becoming a large problem. And, you know, obviously standardized testing has a lot of impact on funding that the schools get. And they were actually taking turns uh, at the schools where they were rotating different classrooms through and different schools at different time, just because there wasn't enough bandwidth on the system. And our current incumbent uh, at the time had no desire to update uh, the amount of infrastructure that needed to be put into place to actually fix that issue. So our city council started talking about how do we do this? And uh, at that time, uh, city of Longmont, which is just to our South, uh, had uh, was hot in the construction of a municipal broadband system. We had been hearing about a lot of things that have been happening across the country, including Chattanooga and other places. And they said, we should really look at this for ourselves too. Obviously we're being left behind. Um, We should really study this and see if there are opportunities for us to improve connectivity in our community. Um, At that time we had Senate Bill 152 that was still in place. Uh, Senate Bill 152 is a um, state level uh, law that prohibits communities from participating in broadband activities. Um, There is a caveat that you can uh, exempt yourself or remove those uh, uh, restrictions through the vote of the people. So the city council decided at that time to go for a Senate Bill 152 override vote, and that was completed in um, November of 2015. We decided to do that before we did uh, our feasibility study because of some of the things that had happened down in Longmont where their feasibility study was actually used against them in propaganda, trying to uh, keep them from moving forward with the municipal system. So it took us about three years to go through a feasibility study. Uh, Ultimately, uh, we looked at all types of different uh, options, everything from just making simple policy changes to bringing in a P3 partner. Um, But ultimately, we decided to start our own broadband utility. Uh, We have Currently, we have an electric utility, we have water and wastewater, stormwater, we have trash service. So we have a lot of experience with running utilities and decided that this would be really the best option for our community. So that started in 2018, and here we are today. 
That is so cool. Um, and yes, I'm familiar with this state law. I know that just in this past November election, at least two more uh, counties, municipalities opted out of that state law. Um, and it's, it's exciting that you guys were able to do that that early on um, as well. Uh, hopefully that state law will go away soon, huh? Yeah, actually, the uh, Colorado Broadband Office is uh, looking to repeal that and is working with our state legislature right now. Um, they have a lot of concerns about uh, the bead funding that's coming out yeah. and any of the areas in our state that have not opted out. And there's quite a few of them uh, would yeah. no longer be eligible for uh, bead funding. So it's a hot priority right now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we can talk a little bit about BEAD uh, some more later, but I want to come back to some of the details on Pulse. Okay. So as a municipal network, I'm wondering a little bit more about um, how much network costs. Uh, are those upfront, do those upfront costs all come from the city? Did you get any um, outside funding? Tell me a bit about uh, how you're paying for the network. We are what's considered an enterprise organization within our utility. And what that means is that we are a business that's run by the city. So uh, all of our funding ultimately will come from the uh, residents and businesses that we serve. So it's 100% service-based. Uh, and that's true for all of our utilities as well. So um, ratepayers uh, pay for the services. There's no taxes involved. In order to make sure that we could get this started, we did do um, a, a municipal bond to get us going. Uh, we are part of a, a part of the electric utility. So when you think about um, the the enterprise, we actually have two business units. We have the electric function, and then we have our communications function. But we're one one organization at the end of the day. So we use both our current electric rate payers, uh, future. Um, uh, monies plus uh, our future broadband uh, rates to pay for that bond. We bonded for $95 million and that helps uh, with construction the first three years of our operations funds and then um, all the equipment and things like that that we would need. Uh, we will, and then we, we ended up having some issues during um, COVID where we've had massive inflation and other cost uh, increases that were really unexpected when we started this in 2018. And so um, we've, made, we've had to have a little bit extra money that we've bonded for uh, with our electric utility. So at the end of the day, we're about $100 million and change uh, for complete construction of our utility. Okay, gotcha. And it's a 100% fiber network? We are 100% to the home. So we're doing uh, GPON and XGPON. So we, uh, from the day one, we were able to provide 10 gigabits up and down uh, to all of our homes and businesses. That's great. And um, is it all new construction? Are you able to leverage any existing uh, city fiber or infrastructure in the ground, or are you just building everything from scratch? Most of our infrastructure is brand new. Um, however, back in the 90s, we had started putting in fiber for our electric utility. Uh, we had started doing that uh, to replace some legacy uh, radio SCADA systems. So we actually had a ring that went through our city uh, with fiber. And so we've been able to leverage that uh, for some of our core network and some of our backhaul. Uh, it also helps us connect to our neighboring communities of Longmont, Fort Collins, and Estes Park, um, which has helped us provide um, regional collaboration so we can share resources and share expenses with some of our neighboring communities uh, and, and help us keep costs down. 
Gotcha. Okay. And where are you in, in your network construction journey? Are you still constructing the network or is it fully built? Um, what We are wrapping up construction right as we Ooh. speak. So we will wow. be this year. We're in our final year. Um, we're about um, 90% done with construction. And uh, so that's the boring. We're doing directional boring for most of our construction technique throughout the city uh, and getting neighborhoods lit every week. So we'll be done by this year. And it's it's a big project, and it's it's funny to think four years ago when we started uh, that this this day seems so far out at the time, yeah. but now here we are, and uh, it's a, it's a big and through a global pandemic on top of it, which you were not expecting when you set out on this journey. No, definitely. So we we formed the utility in 2018, and we started construction late 2019. Uh, wow. we, launched, we launched services in June of 2020. So right in the middle of COVID, it was, we had all these grand plans for launch and how we would, you know, bring in the community and engage community members. And we had to completely scrap everything because everything was virtual at the time and we were all in lockdown. So it was pretty interesting. And then all the iterations for how you connect services and people's homes during pandemic with, you know, mask protocols and safety protocols and how do you do COVID callouts prior to installation? It was um, not just learning how to run a utility, but then also during a pandemic, it was crazy. It's significantly challenging and super interesting because you mentioned that one of the primary reasons you all launched was because the schools were having trouble getting service, but you were, by the time you launched, they were all schooling from home, right? They were, yeah. And uh, so there, there were a lot of conversations that we had with our school district and with our public libraries about different ways that we could help. Um, by the time we were actually launched, it was the summer and but we right. preparation for the upcoming fall. So um, we put into place um, public Wi-Fi hotspots with in conjunction with our library um, to make sure that kids, at least when they first started school, would be able to access, um, you know, the digital learning if they didn't have it at their home. At right. that time, we did, couldn't cover the whole city. Um, and then we had worked, we've been working with our school district, Thompson School District, uh, for picking up a lot of the different um, parts of the city that are unserved or underserved. Um, we actually partnered with them on a, a grant that extended into a canyon area just outside of our city limits that had absolutely no access. Um, and then uh, and a large mobile home park that had um, several hundred kids in it, and there was absolutely no access. They actually had uh, resource officers, or not resource officers, but um, resources embedded in that trailer park um, because they had so many students there that uh, needed assistance, but they had no internet access. Wow. And, uh, we were able to bring in internet connectivity to not only that um, school facility, but then also uh, pick up all the students that were there as well through a a grant with the school. We gave them a year of free internet um, going through the last years of the pandemic. That's awesome. Um, so with that in mind, I wonder, are you also participating in the affordable connectivity program? Has that been able to enhance your service reach? And are you concerned about the future of that program as many in the industry are right now? Absolutely. So we started participating in the EBB when it was first launched. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're you know, we had great success with that. And then, um, of course, transition to the ACP. Um, it has been a huge benefit to our community. Um, when when it was EBB, obviously, it was a lot more money and it covered our lowest tier um, uh, package entirely. So when the when the 
funding drop to $30 a month, we actually went back to the drawing board and said, you know, we, we really need to make sure that we are providing that lowest tier for free. Um, and we actually are providing a supplement to our community right now. So the, the $30 from the ACP program plus another $15 that we supply on our own to make sure that we bring that lowest cost uh, package down to zero for those that qualify, but then they can also apply that to any of our packages. So our one gig package, which is, you know, best in class really out there in the world, uh, is only $30 a month for students and um, others that qualify. We felt that that was the most equitable. Um, we are concerned about it uh, continuing on in the future. We have a lot of community members that have really benefited from that, and we would hate to see that go by the wayside. So we've been talking to our state legislature and um, our representatives about making sure that we can get that uh, preserved for the future. Yeah, I think it also, I'm sure, matters for, for you all as well, uh, revenue-wise, to have that, to be able to have those customers, right? It, it does. I mean, I, I think that we provide a better overall service because we're local, we understand our community, we understand our community's needs um, in a way that a big national company wouldn't necessarily be able to serve. So, you know, I, I yes, absolutely. I, I think that we would look at other ways um, to make sure that we're providing to those low income areas um, if ACP were to go away, but it's ACP certainly helps and has certainly been a huge benefit. Gotcha. So municipal networks are a bit polarizing. As we discussed earlier, your state has a law on the books banning them currently that may get overturned soon, hopefully. Um, but I think you made a you know a good enough case earlier for why you needed a municipal network in Loveland. The incumbent didn't want to go where service was needed. That is typically the case, typically why municipalities uh, tend to launch broadband services, but incumbents are also resistant to municipalities launching broadband services and you know get involved and helping write those state laws that make sure that they don't happen. Um, so uh, I'd love to hear from you just a little bit more about um, why we should have, why in defense of municipalities uh, launching broadband services, and also, you know, speak to the challenges of being a utility that delivers broadband. Well, one of the, you know, we're public servants at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're lifetime public servants. Most of my staff uh, have come from other parts of our utilities. Uh, we've been at the city a long time. And so we understand the importance of that community service, that giving back to the community piece, which I think you don't get in the same way when you're a for-profit. And, and also we're not for-profit. So everything we make stays in our community. We give it back um, by either through reinvestment in our network and our infrastructure, um, through sponsorships with our schools and uh, local anchor institutions. So our focus is not about making a profit. It's about providing the best possible service now and in the future for our community uh, that you, you only get with a community-owned entity. So from, from that perspective, I think the whole mind shift around like what, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? So we, we go past every home and business in our community. We don't skip. We don't take a look at the map and say, well, this is an area where we're probably going to get lower uh, market penetration than this area over here. So we're going to focus on that. We, we have um, ubiquitous coverage and, you know, that's, a, that's one of the other benefits of our, of our organization. As far as 
downsides. I mean, we are a government entity, and so we have a lot of restrictions on how we do business that private industry wouldn't necessarily have. So we have uh, different procurement rules, um, transparency rules um, that are, are at the end of the day good, but it, it changes how we operate a little bit compared to a, a private organization. Um, the other is that, you know, you, you we're in a competitive market, which is not normal for a utility or for a, a city organization or a city entity. I mean, when you think about utilities that uh, cities usually own, they're the water department, or sometimes you have electric utilities involved, but those are all very captive audience oriented services. And so you don't have to choose between one service over the other, like you do in a broadband utility. Um, so we directly compete. Um, we have to do uh, marketing and outreach in a way that's similar to our uh, incumbents here and and you know the private industry and that that mind shift has been interesting as as our city has moved into that realm and having those types of conversations about why we have to do things differently. Gotcha. And you know, with the state potentially overturning its law, uh, presumably more municipalities mm-hmm. are going to have the opportunity to jump into the broadband game. Um, do you have any advice for your fellow Colorado municipalities? Uh, yeah, I mean, be willing to be flexible and, you know, think outside of the box. I think that those are the biggest things for us as we've moved into this is, you know, um, just because you've always done that something one way doesn't mean that that's how you need to do things is if you go forward with broadband. But, you know, it has been transformational for our community um, with how our small business community has now access to affordable broadband, um, our low income and uh, restricted income folks have uh, clarity and transparency in their rates. They're not going to go up. They're not going to have a bait and switch uh, situation happening, which is what we heard a lot from during our feasibility study that we want to know what we're going to pay for now. And we don't want it to just randomly change on us, you know, in a couple of months after our contract. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we'll end it with uh, one of the topics we mentioned earlier, the upcoming $42.5 billion broadband equity access and deployment program funding, the BEAD program. Um, Do you see opportunities through BEAD for Pulse? Uh, How are you sort of gearing up for the forthcoming funding? And are you sort of, um, I assume your state broadband office has only grown in the past year. What is that relationship like um, between Pulse and the state broadband office in Colorado? So we're really lucky here in Colorado that we had a broadband office uh, for many years prior to BEAD even being, um, you know, a thing. Uh, And we've we've worked very closely with them for, you know, since really the inception. They've been very supportive of of what we have been trying to do here in Loveland and up and down the front range with other community-owned networks. And we're very hopeful that we will be considered. Obviously, we are very concerned about, um, you know, equity and making sure that we're considered as well as a, you know, government-owned or a community-owned entity. Um, and so one of some of the ways that we are making sure that we're getting ready is that we're actually uh, leveraging our partnerships with our regional uh regional friends to get ourselves ready. So we have very close relationships with the county. We've actually been doing um, design ready work in advance of the bead uh, grant funding coming out. So we have projects that are ready to go and ready to submit applications. Um, Our county is very concerned about what they call the uh, suburban fringe. So right now we have 
um, Fort Collins, Loveland, Estes Park, and Longmont, which is the Northern Front Range communities that all have broadband utilities. We all okay. have the municipality. But once you hit that count or that city line, you have no internet connectivity, right? And so they're very concerned about that like cliff that you drop off once you hit the city limit line. And so they have been working to uh, leverage any funding that they have in order to expand our networks out into the unincorporated areas. And through a partnership, some of it is ARPA money, some of it is um, other grant funding through, you know, DOLA or, you know, our, and uh, education offices and things like that. So we're absolutely ready to go with um, different projects for BEAD. And it's, it's pretty exciting. And then we're also starting to talk with um, some of our neighboring communities about, you know, how can we help partner? How can we help you um, make sure that you're ready for what's about to come later this year and into next year? Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Brianna. I really enjoyed learning about Pulse and I wish you all the best of luck with it. Oh, thank you so much. I thank you um, again and for all your time today. We uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you again, Brianna, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriel, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.